Hello and welcome to another episode of this podcast. Today we have uh, myself, Pramod, Tondu, and Bella. Uh, this episode is on the super cyclone that just hit West Bengal, Odisha, and Bangladesh. Uh, cyclone Amphan. It's actually pronounced Umpun or something of that sort, but we don't have time for that. Uh, the thing is that uh, in the aftermath of the cyclone, it has been one of the worst and worst cyclones in recent memory, at least since the cyclone that hit Wissa in the 90s. Um, and the amount of destruction that it has caused and the kind of is absolutely not proportional to the kind of attention that it has been getting, or rather, should I say, it's not been getting, because uh, when the cyclone made landfall in India and Bangladesh, uh, <laughs> while the international media reported extensively on it, the Indian media was basically reporting on some uh, something regarding, I mean, the national media, the English media and the Hindi media <coughs> were basically reporting on something uh, regarding Yogi Adityanath and Priyanka Gandhi. The prime minister himself, you know, only managed to make a statement. Like it was a tweet that he tweeted out 24 hours after the cyclone made landfall and it had basically wreaked havoc in Beng- West Bengal and Bangladesh. And, uh, you know, he only announced that he would be coming as of recording this morning to visit West Bengal, the damage and to survey the damage in West Bengal this morning. So, you know, and the thing is, even after that, we are only getting 1,000 crores in relief uh, as an advance, uh, which is basically to give you some perspective, it's less than the cost of the Statue of Unity, it's less than the cost of what they're actually planning on spending in remodeling Latians. So that we are basically getting peanuts. To give you a scale of the kind of destruction that the, I mean, like some, many of you would have seen some of the videos already, but give you a scale of the kind of destruction that this cyclone has brought in Bengal. Um, the districts of East and West Medipur have around, together have around 10 million people. The districts of North and South Chobish Porgona together have around 20 million people. Calcutta proper, which is exclusive of Greater Calcutta, but you know the small district of Calcutta from Ulkoranga to Kaliganj, that has a population of around five million people, and Howrah and Hooghly have a population of around ten million people together. So that what we did, what are we dealing with? Ten million, ten million, twenty million, and for the, something we are dealing with a population of forty-five million here, and mm. obviously there are millions more across the border in Bangladesh. Another say. 20, 30 million people on that side of the border who have been directly in the line of sight of the cyclone. Uh, obviously, there are millions more in Odisha who have been affected. Uh, the thing is, and of course, one of, another thing that uh, you must keep in mind is the fact that a lot of um, the areas that have been affected are deeply, deeply dependent on uh, fisheries and on agriculture for sustenance. Um, yeah. So, and what we've seen is that we've had trawlers being smashed to bits. We've had agricultural land being washed away. We've had people losing their livestock, etc. And we do not know how, you know, at this point, and obviously with the, you know, we were already in the middle of an economic crisis with the entire lock COVID-19 related lockdown going on. It's become much, much worse. In fact, our chief minister just like went on, you know, even like, even people close to her have said that they've never seen her this devastated by anything because 
she 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 basically saw where the cyclone was heading and she said that you know shorbona shoegate which basically means that you know we're ruined because if anyone knows anything about you know how the supply chain in southern bengal works there has been a massive disruption and mm. we do not know how long it will take for people to basically get back up on their feet and this one this modest thing that uh, modi has announced it just doesn't cut it a thousand crores won't cut it so um you know we will obviously at the end of this episode we will have some donation links for you to like donate to and we will also have some uh, you know chat we'll we'll give you the official state government's relief fund as well as we'll give you certain charities you could donate to who are engaged in relief work. yeah so if anyone else wants to chip in and chime in etc i mean in some ways i think the fact that uh, covid restrictions are in place also means that migration for and migration is never really a solution but you know even options where people could migrate and find work in urban areas or other places that has completely um, disappeared and yeah like you said the financial um package that's being offered will not even begin to cut what this kind of uh, what this kind of economic damage um, involves so um in some ways it's very much um, a very dire situation for southern bengal uh chondu I mean, yes. there isn't much to say. Uh, one of the things I'm concerned about is this. You know, this happened, and uh, we are just talking about that. We'll have uh, links for donation at the end of the uh, end of the today's episode, and it just kind of is deeply angering that that we have disaster after disaster after disaster, and it just seems more and more it's being pushed that. Uh, dealing with disasters is a matter of charity it's very angering i think i think that uh, uh, i mean it's it's a very basic point to make that you know we should be demanding that the state handles this but it's not handling it and that's a problem what happens when you make disaster management uh, think about charity here is what happens first of all you have these uh, organizations which are not connected to the state and which don't have any democratic oversight which get to control how relief is done and i think uh, pramod has some points on how some of those organizations are going to create trouble i am of course going to be talking about one of the organizations which has perennially tried to use disaster in a way to advance its fascist agenda which is the sang the rss does get involved in these things and it does make a uh, disaster relief into a pol- into a political and communal weapon we have actually seen that with the way they have done relief work related to covid they have managed to communalize that as well and that is the first thing i would like to talk about with uh, with comrade pramod i have a few other concerns as well but like what do you have to say about uh, what we've seen is uh, it's basically a very center state problem right now and it's one of those issues that has been a continuous center state problem in all of these disasters we've seen it in kerala as well for instance when the kerala floods took place we again saw that you know the center was playing was basically not contributing enough right so for instance i've got some like numbers here with me so the pending amount for west bengal that the center actually owes us is something like 52000 crores and that excludes the amount that they were supposed to give us for cyclone bulbul which happened uh, you know prior to this 
and they had, that money has also has not arrived by the way so it was far less destructive but you know that happened um, the thing is that uh, you know uh, then uh, the thing is the central government has not been giving back to the states as much as they should have so like i said like you know if you owe 52000 crores and then the center is just saying that you know we'll just give you an advance of 1000 crores and the 1000 crore thing is like you know that's like one third of the cost of the statue of unity as i said now the thing is that the state government has recently lost a lot of its taxation power due to the gst there are supposed to be certain rebates which were supposed to come as a result of that for you know to compensate for the loss of revenue made by certain states there was supposed to be a rebate that hasn't arrived properly uh, secondly unlike in the united states where states can levy a kind of direct taxation they can levy income taxation in india from the inception of india basically you know states don't have that power and the thing is you know there has been a centralization of power in new delhi and there furthermore new delhi has chosen to use that money in any way it has pleased this is very very structural in the sense that it is a very neutral of who exactly is in power at the center we've seen this repeatedly and the central government basically uses uh, you know it does not give you the give the states the money that they owe, owe these states and there is also a notion at least in west bengal for instance there is a notion that since the west, since this particular state has not elected the bjp or the congress in quite a while that this is also used as a form of political punishment against the state and there is also a similar perception in other states where you know where you have a where you have continuous governments which are not the bjp or the congress the most powerful parties in india right now mm-hmm. so that's one thing so in that sense you know the thing is that you know ultimately what can the state government do and the state of government is basically right now having to beg people for um, you know money in fact during a, you know while we were talking about covid 19 one of the things that the states had consistently been asking the center to do was relax what is known as the fiscal uh, responsibility and budgetary Mon- um, management act uh, which basically puts a cap on how much the states can borrow how much debt the states can actually accrue and the center has not been forthcoming on that demand as well now the thing is that if they say that you know we can't we are not going to relax that thing they basically starting to impose a kind of fiscal austerity upon these states now everyone you know most of us think that there is a certain kind of fiscal prudence that must be exercised by state governments as well however the thing is in times of crisis this is exactly the time that you cannot have that those kind of demands being imposed upon state governments but you are having those kind of demands being imposed regardless of the circumstance coming to charity now the thing is as far as state relief efforts etc i mean like by state i mean governmental relief efforts etc concerned in any disaster whether it's uh, you know even in uh, you know where state capacity is much higher than in india we obviously have a role played by private ngos and organizations who involve themselves in this kind of relief work now obviously the most dangerous like you know i'm going to encourage people to donate to someone some or some of these organizations but obviously there are also going to be organizations like the rss which are going to get involved in this um mm. thus far they have not been able to mobilize their ground uh, you know workers properly mainly because the rss isn't that big in bengal as of yet i mean yes the bjp did get 18 uh, mps uh, in the lok sabha elections but that has 
less to that that those were mainly anti-incumbency votes and they're basically looking to build up on that it's not like they already had a massive organization which they're actually capitalizing on it's rather the opposite that they're actually going to use the electoral success to cap to build us organization and they've um, done historically in other places as well right? yeah 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 so yeah so they've done it in odisha they've done it in most prominent and i mean like obviously that state has been very very well studied in the context of disasters and you know communalizations of that yeah they did in gujarat in guj after the guj earthquake and there were entire areas that were essentially reconfigured along communal lines there was a communal distribution of uh, uh, communalized distribution of relief work one of the things that you know many of us are sort of afraid of is that you know once even like governmental relief work starts in west bengal um there are going to because again if you actually look at parts of the sundarban area the sundarban area is actually very very communally uh, you know integrated mm-hmm. now once you have that kind of communal integration in this place and then suddenly um, uh, it's integrated as well as it has a very high muslim population as well uh, mm-hmm. so now what what the bjp is basically going to come and do or the rss as it were they are going to come and do is they are going to start making allegations that uh, uh, you know the the uh, you know the state government is obviously favoring the muslims and obviously the hindus are not getting as much as they should and also i should mention here <laughs> that uh, the sundarban area is basically uh, you know again another place where they're actually doing that division between you know uh, playing upon div- certain existing hostilities as well as certain new uh, newly made hostilities between extremely marginalized non muslim groups and muslims and uh, what they do though this is exactly what they yeah, try yeah. To- yeah 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 it's like basically their modus operandi everywhere right like that's what we saw in muzaffarnagar that's what we see in gujarat and that's exactly the formula that they try using in bengal anyone who is in bengal and who is associated with this kind of work etc should try their utmost to ensure that it doesn't happen because the thing was un- even until like this cyclone hit one of the things that the bjp was very very focused on right now was regarding was trying to communalize the covid-19 crisis right and oh, yeah. there were for instance ordun uh, singh ordun singh who is in darakpur he basically you know he went right across the river and there was a certain disturbance created because you know there was in a hindu locality you know certain muslims wanted to use a toilet and they were basically abused as for coronavirus and what not which mm-hmm. led to a scuffle but then you know once the bjp got involved it turned into a massive flare up with people using bombs and the like and you know then the riot police had to be called in mm-hmm. and uh, houses etc were burned down i mean on both sides but you know the projection given was that only hindu houses were burned down by muslims and mamata banerjee was basically shielding these muslim perpetrators and what not um, so this was this was what they were doing uh, like you know this cyclone as of recording happened 3 days back they were doing this four or five days back that they were spreading a lot of communal nonsense regarding these incidents so they will find try and find a way of communalizing every single aspect of this and they've done this very successfully in the past this entire correction of relief relief work charity etc and again the thing is that again we're talking about very marginalized communities to begin with right mm-hmm. like people who are living in the sundarbans they are people who's basically you know who are anywhere at the mercy of uh things like the weather of climate change or weather etc 
you know one year the crop goes bad and you know one year the you know that their fields get salinated and they're absolutely broke and the thing is groups like the rss have a lot of money and they can basically you know you know while they make allegations of people being put and put rice bag converts that's kind of what they do yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of what they do that they basically go go around these places and they basically do relief work they do charity they say that okay you want to join so we'll integrate they're also you handing out, uh, they also hand out bhagavad gitas along with their aid so in some ways they're no different from rice bag you know whatever the accusations that they exactly like, exactly exactly and the thing is another thing that you know people have to bear in mind and this makes it even more dangerous than what for instance happens in Odisha which is already shockingly bad enough because you know you had things like the gram stains murder happening in the 1990s in Odisha yeah. in, in the tribal belt of Odisha and many of the perpetrators at that point of time were shautas and mundas themselves but again the thing is that in this part of west bengal this part of west bengal is extremely communally sensitive as well because again is very close to the border this has been a place which has seen communal tensions in the past regarding movement of refugees across both sides of the border there have been minor you know fights and things that have broken out most of these have been controlled in the past few decades but you know these these tensions you know these are not memories of these tensions memories of partition these these things don't go away in a generation or even two or three generations these are things that are like anxieties that remain within these people for a very very long time and once these anxieties are you know sort of like if the bjp realizes that they can capitalize on it which they already have and in fact they did win certain uh, you know uh, sc reserve constituencies by playing upon these anxieties in west bengal they will they are going to have a field day so it is very very important that if whoever is trying to tackle this you know or whoever is trying to operate on the ground whether it's Trinamool Congress whether it's a CPM whether it's a Congress or whether it's all these independent left organizations that we have in Bengal right now you know who are deeply deeply involved in you know grassroots level activism etc they all have to be extremely and they I mean they are but they'll have to be very very conscious of this and they'll have to take a proactive effort in fighting this I think there's also a secondary. I mean, I think this is what Chandu was referring to when he was talking about the privatization, you know, mafia, which is basically the sort of you know uh, philanthropic capitalist industry that then emerges in the in in the wake of uh, disaster management. I mean, I think Haiti is the is the sort yeah. of typical example of this, which is basically having you know organizations like Red Cross and Amnesty sort of swoop in and be the primary sort of you know distributor of aid and. Um, resources and inevitably there's no accountability there's no uh, way of recording where that money goes how much of it is used for what ends um and that's really in some ways a, a huge danger which is both that it you know dismantles what infrastructure should be available to handle disaster it takes off any incentive for the state to do its job which is look out for citizens um and it empowers a sort of really uh, shadowy you know ngo privatization nexus that's just um, that that yeah. not regulated or are held accountable in any way yeah yeah so those concerns are actually valid especially if you look at, across the border mm-hmm. the thing is actually the closest example we have is actually right across the border it's in bangladesh actually that uh, you've had a lot of welfare services being handed over by the bangladeshi state since the 80s and the 90s to a bunch of ngos which is why if you actually look at a lot of the ngo work etc and a lot of these case studies that happen 
right so one of the famous things was uh, you know this entire thing that he actually won a nobel prize in uh, peace right mohammed yunus won a nobel peace prize for this that yeah. you know for the entire microfinance thing microfinance. Uh, the thing is uh, yeah so the thing is i don't want to get into whether it's good or bad there's a debate on this i mean like even regarding what's effect on welfare and what not Mm-hmm. but the thing the interesting thing is that you know poverty alleviation here in bangladesh was something that the state sort of kind of like you know sh- you know shook its hands shrugged their hands off and said that okay we'll, we're going to like let the private sector you know handle this yeah uh, which is also why you see like organizations like brack etc now uh, you know for what it's worth i think a lot of the work that they do is actually very good yeah but at the same time obviously it's very very concerning that you know the state is not taking a much as much of a role as it should in ensuring basic welfare etc now for what is worth i don't think that you know this is necessarily going to be the case in west bengal not so long as the trinomul or the cpm like i i would have definitely said that if the cpm were there it wouldn't be the case and i'm also pretty certain that the trinomul won't because the trinomul basically has uh, it's it's basically about politics right so basically the thing is that trinomul basically functions as a welfare a populist welfare is part huh. and the, the thing is that right now the opposition to the trinomul which is the bjp is also a party which in bengal is talking about welfare etc but there is a consistent uh, uh, perception that it's a pro privatization party hmm. so the thing is as long as the trinomul is there they are going to which is why you are also seeing the rhetoric right like if you look at the rhetoric the rhetoric isn't that you know we have to let go of this because we can't do enough it's like you know we are being cheated of our money by the center right hmm. so the, the rhetoric is basically this that you know we have to do a lot more the state has to do a lot more because again something of the kind of damage that has happened again it is not something that private enterprises or private ngos could ever cover it's something that the state has to take a leading role in. and then they're basically saying that you know we are being cheated out of this by the center question here which yeah. is what is like and this is i'm asking you because i'm not from bengal but what is like the reputation of tmc in this sense like will people be okay in giving their money to the some people won't be some people will be so here's the thing this is how a lot of governments work right like even when uh, you trust the party if you trust the party obviously or even if you don't trust it so there's a huge population of west bengal that does not have a lot of faith in the trinamool congress right like that is exactly why you saw them voting for the bjp mm-hmm. in 2019 i mean the tmc obviously won and they got more votes than the bjp did and they won more seats but you know the fact that the bjp suddenly got 18 mps is not a mean feat because they were practically yes, non existent before this mm-hmm. yeah they were practically non existent before this again but the thing is that these are also not like as i said before these are not people who were committed you know sort of like bjp bjp did not have a base they're using this to build the base now the thing is a lot of people don't trust the trinomul congress government because the trinomul congress government is seen as very very corrupt and many of these local leaders are basically i mean like there have obviously been scams involving them which have involved embezzlement so there is obviously a fear that if you donate to the state and then you know when the state engages in relief work uh, you know this these local leaders will start embezzling funds and it's actually not something you know the thing is that you know it's not exclusive to the trinomul congress obviously the bjp does it the left front used to do it as well we know this for a fact 
mm-hmm. no matter who, which of the audience denies this it's true but the thing is the way that the trinamool has gone about it has been you know extremely transparently corrupt let's put it this way. they've been very transparent in being very very corrupt in a way that you know more organized parties have not been um and the thing is that you know there is there is this saying where this, i mean like it's became an electoral issue in 2019 this issue of cut money like you know the they're taking cuts of everything like there's a trinamool being involved with the local mafia the local leaders being part of these local mafias they're taking cuts for things now these are very very valid concerns it's not some kind of joke because again you know it also sometimes you know boils down to who gets welfare and who doesn't yeah it's uh, it i i mean you know when we're talking about the macro picture sometimes you know people tend to be dismissive of it and say you know okay it's not very important etc but you know again elections are fought on the ground and you know sometimes these things tend to matter which is why you know when someone told me that uh, there was someone else somewhere else who was like you know i want to de- donate to uh, the cyclone relief but i don't want to donate to the trinamool so i was like uh, i told the guy that you know give them another link there was another link to a bunch of leftist activists who were working on the ground with the dispute as like okay tell him to donate here because that kind of distrust it's natural that a lot of people will have it but i i say that in general people do trust the state government on this obviously the people who are not going to, who are going to be like you know this the state government is beyond redemption and we're not going to contribute at all i mean like maybe what i've said for the past few minutes is like a bit bit of a bit too dismal But yeah most people are going to willingly donate to the chief minister's relief fund and you know they are going to de- donate to xyz relief fund and they are going to trust the state government to do it because again the thing is even if this at this point of time if the state government basically and it's again about bad political incentives right like if the state government doesn't act right now it's going to lose the election next year it's as simple as that because if the if the relief doesn't come to these affected areas they're going to they're just going to lose the election and elections are next year itself mm-hmm. so they can't not afford to do something let's just put it this yes. way and so yeah yeah will... yeah like i i i would hope that like they are rational at least in this horrible disaster the ideal position would be that the state and central government start taking planning for these very seriously and ahead of time that we're not always you know reacting to a disaster once it's happened but anticipating what might happen and you know making sure certain resources like storm shelters maybe in terms of like livestock protection center like there are things you should organize beforehand knowing that this kind of thing will happen in season and farm uh, 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 like i i was also going to say that like despite like you know our obvious antagonism with the government in the center there is actually one thing i like about the center uh, wow like okay the audience is going to cancel us but <laughs> might as well uh india's international policy on climate change etc and its dealing with the first world has been rather rational i don't know if you have looked at the recent comments one of the projects that the central government as far as its international relations has been very very involved in is in building um, a thermal power plant in the sundarbans in bangladesh okay ah, yes. and so the thing is that uh, and uh, one of the things that we've seen okay so one of the things was that you know there was a, there was the cyclone in madras which happened in 2016 right yeah and we've actually seen because again greater madras was something was again much like calcutta it was actually full of uh, it was surrounded by marshes and 
the like right and all these yeah. marshes got sealed uh, got filled up landfilled and you know all these yeah. buildings have been built on top of it which yeah. actually made uh, madrasas flood which actually weakened madrasas flood resistance considerably mm-hmm. now the thing is that one thing a lot of environmentalists have been saying in uh, west bengal and in bangladesh is that you know the more the sundarbans get cut down and the more the east calcutta wetlands get destroyed the worse it is actually you know for cities like calcutta to actually or across the border in khulna etc to kind of manage these things like the yeah. kind of flooding that we've been having is because for instance the east calcutta wetlands used to be a sort of like a natural drain yeah. so the thing is thing is that these uh, east calcutta wetlands they've been come under constant you know landfilling like it started off with the building construction of salt lake under the left front government like then it came under the construction of new town with rajarat new town and i have seen that in, with my own eyes you know like i used to go there in the winter to watch birds and what not but then you guys to see these trucks coming in carrying you know all these soil for carrying soil and just dumping them into the lakes to construct you know multi stories afterwards mm-hmm. so that happened there's been a constant consistent encroachment upon the sundarbans in the process of urbanization Uh, so the thing is that while india might be posturing abroad about uh, you know you know the kind of responsibility that the global south has versus the kind of responsibility that the global north has the thing is india has to do a lot more and the thing is what india is doing is far too less because we have also not been doing enough to tackle climate change and we have not been doing enough to mitigate the effects of climate change more importantly because if we were at all concerned about this there are certain things that you know we would have done more intelligently like we would have uh, emphasized on urban planning more if intelligently right we would have basically said that okay we have all this land in in calcutta now instead of expanding outwards uh, and you know starting because again calcutta proper is basically a very very small part of what the metropolitan area is instead of expanding this metropolitan into the sundarbans into the wetlands etc we would have said that okay why not just go vertical why not increase the density now calcutta is already one of the densest densest cities on the planet but we could have gone more we could yeah. have gone further it could have actually been easy in fact it would have been more efficient in a bunch of ways because it would have also like saved people on transportation costs it would have saved a, people on you know other form of you know a lot of uh, infrastructural costs and what not but Pramod basically said that right, posturing against the global north on the climate change issues. Now the thing is that that climate change ultimately would require a certain degree of strategic cooperation between countries, and the global north really needs to like be held yeah. accountable for things which have been happening. Like we can't really do things without massive technological investments from the global north massive shifts in consumption patterns in the global north essentially the global north radically changing the way it operates and yeah. if we don't do that then like you know even mitigating climate change stuff is going to be extremely hard practically impossible that is like my concern that you know like we have to sort of have people who are loudly blaming the global north on this the issue is that you know if you don't take any steps of mitigation or if for instance the way the indian state has been dealing with its forest cover or in the way india the indian state is basically expanding its fossil fuel consumption like right so i mean the indian state is has no although it postures a lot about you know you know taking the leadership on renewables and what not it doesn't really do that right it just basically is going around building more thermal power plants 
it has said that it would take the initiative on nuclear but it hasn't done that yet indian left kind of has a very let's just say it's a very euro inspired euro green inspired position on nuclear power uh, but you know we can leave that aside but the thing is the uh, that the indian state has not taken any sort of initiative in expanding our renewables and dependence on you know our re- or rather decreasing our reliance on fossil fuels another yeah. thing which is very very important another thing that is very very important and this gets back into the question of urban planning etc and is a very personal bugbear of mine is the fact that you know we are trying to encourage for instance the way we are again planning cities etc are very car centric right and i mean like you know i mean, what you're doing is you're also expanding this goes into how cities are also expanding right because you yeah. build these big big roads in the middle of a city and you know you're, you're expanding those cities and you don't think urban sprawl is that much of an issue one thing that covid-19 has taught us with regards to you know car not many cars going around is that the air quality has drastically improved in the city in the indian cities i mean like they're actually breathable now <laughs> we haven't seen this since our childhood so yeah so completely agreed i think we have covered pretty much everything we wanted to cover yeah. on amfan i would just urge our audience that please donate generously because no matter how problematic ngos are and whatever now is not the time to like sort of like yeah. like go around that it's uh, uh we hope that things improve and we have our thoughts uh, it's almost become a meme and it's a terrible thing to say but like all we can say is that we have our thoughts and prayers with the, the people who are stuck outside especially with the migrants so, yeah, yeah sure yeah bye Thank bye you very much bye bye i got for the links that we'll share